I'm here today with Connor Boyack. Um, he is the author of the Tuttle Twins books, which I have here, which are which I highly recommend. They're awesome. Um, and the reason I asked um, Connor to join me today is I really want to hear what he has to say. He's somebody who's producing something that I think um, can lead to real solutions in terms of how people change their ideas about the world and and how they then go on to create solutions. So. I really wanted to ask you about that. Specifically, you know, what we're seeing now is this new normal. And um, I've spoken with homeschooling parents, we homeschool, and I've spoken with other homeschooling parents who just want no part of it. And even a lot of parents who have their kids in school are just, you know, do not want this. And yet it's so hard to, to speak about it. It's hard to, to talk to, you know, parents who you don't already know are on your side about it. Um, how do you, what advice do you have or what thoughts do you have about stopping this new normal from taking over our kids' lives? So that's a big question, uh, but a very important one. Um, the first thing I think that's important is that we have to have or develop courage. Uh, what we've seen lately is that people have been shamed into silence and they're fearful of the mob. They're fearful of cancel culture. They're fearful of, you know, Facebook comments, tearing them to pieces and people shaming them. We've, we've had this new like Karen effect in our society recently, right? Where people are shaming one another uh, to a degree that we've never seen before in American culture. And uh, so I think that can be very intimidating for a lot of people. I'm going to say, especially the women, I think men tend to be willing to kind of engage in those Facebook comment battles or whatever. And I think women uh, by nature tend to uh, be a little bit more of the peacemaker and not willing to jump into that. What that leads to then is then uh, if, if we silence ourselves, uh, we are not providing a counter voice to the narrative that is quickly emerging. And this can take many forms. You don't have to go post all over social media and tell all your you know, friends of different background that they're wrong, they're idiots. I'm not suggesting anything like that. I think at first and foremost starts in the home. We need to be willing to, to kind of open our kids' eyes up and help them understand these different perspectives and that we have strong beliefs and what those beliefs are and why they're important. I think so it's critical that we be having some real solid you know, dinner uh, conversations with our kids about these ideas, which is kind of what prompted us to do the, the Tuttle Twins books. But beyond that, I think we each have to find our own path in how we're most comfortable and effective in speaking out. And for some people, it could be writing an op-ed. It could be hosting a book club. It could be having a cottage meeting and inviting uh, you know, the mayor over to field some questions. It could be uh, doing a podcast, doing a video series. Uh, there's so many options where we can kind of engage in the battle of ideas. Um, I think principally what's critical though is that we cannot win a war that we don't know is being waged, right? Like if we don't understand that there is a battle for our children's minds, uh, then, you know, we've already lost that battle. I remember seeing, this was a couple months ago, there was a tweet uh, from a, a teacher, kind of a progressive left uh, public school teacher. And his tweet went viral before I believe he deleted it. And it said, I've got it uh, preserved right here, so I'll read it verbatim. He says, new teachers, I'm sorry if we veteran educators have misguided you about the profession. It's not about cute classrooms and trendy ideas. It's political. It's advocacy. It's the front line of battle for the future of our nation. 
go no further if you're not ready. And so there is this battle for our children's minds. There are, are people out there who see the, the dystopian or in their mind utopian future that they want dependent upon molding the rising generation to believe in what they do. And this is happening. It's been happening for a long time. If we don't understand that, if we don't get in the trenches and, and put a shield around our children and then figure out what kind of sword we can hold and how to wield it, uh, we've already lost. And so I think we just have to engage in, in the fight. Everyone has their own, you know, you look at a war, <coughs> excuse me, there's tons of things. You need nurses, you need cooks, you need all the supplemental people to support the people who are out there on the front lines. You don't have to be on the front lines, but everyone has to engage. And uh, whatever that looks like for us is up, up to us to figure out. But I think it's critical that we realize this is kind of an ideological war and uh, it, it's critical that we realize that and then figure out how to, how to fight. Yeah, and it's becoming more than just ideological. I mean, we're now being threatened with sort of, I mean, you know, our, our, the way I look at it, I'm in California, the way I look at it is we're under attack by our government. It's as if they are waging like literal war. You know, this, this would be, this is what a hostile foreign power would do. They would come in and they find, would find a way to destroy the businesses, destroy the livelihoods, undercut everything that people depend on so it's kind of gone from ideological in my mind to something very tangible and yet at the same time so many of the people around us don't see it that way it's and that's for me that's that's the difficult part it, you know i i write about stuff all the time i've got a podcast i speak out publicly the harder part is speaking with people you know like mm. friends parents of your kids friends because the consequences of that, you know, if you offend them, then you've cut, maybe cut off a friendship for your child. So I have an interesting insight there that I've always kind of latched onto. I'm Christian, and uh, in the Bible, there's this uh, point where Jesus says, uh, no man is a prophet in his own land. So here's a guy that came from, you know, Nazareth, backwater, little hick village, whatever, right? And people are like, Nazareth? Like, nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? And yet here comes Jesus from Nazareth. And so he's out there <clears throat> gaining a following, preaching to a lot of people, having a lot of effect, but not as successful with the people who know him because they've seen him grow up. They have those relationships. They're like, oh, that's the carpenter's kid. Right. And so if even Jesus struggled mm -hmm. to convert the people of his own uh, you know, family and community, I think that gives us a buy, right? Where we don't necessarily have to engage in, like where appropriate, where, you know, whatever, fine, do that. I do it. Thanksgiving dinners are a whole lot of fun, right? <laughs> uh, but I don't think that, that that needs to be our critical focus, especially because the, you're going to have the controversy, the drama, the rifts, the, the high emotions. Yeah. I think it could be better in a lot of ways to focus where you don't have that kind of the baggage if you will yeah. surrounding yeah. the engagement of those ideas so that's just a quick thought yeah no that's that's helpful that's um you know the the hard part about engaging publicly now of course is that you know people who don't go along with the official narrative are being shut down shadow banned it's getting harder and harder to reach people um which again is why i i think um you know what you're doing and, and I realize you've been doing this for a long time. You didn't start the Tuttle Twins because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this is, is an especially good medium for kind of getting around that because you don't, it, it's hard to, sh unless, unless Amazon's actually going to stop selling, which they've done with a few books, 
but there are other ways of getting books. I don't know, it seems to, it seems to me that writing books about these issues can be more powerful. Do you think that's true? So, you know, ideas are what are powerful and, you know, books are one medium to convey those ideas. And, uh, you know, I, I know in my own life that the power of ideas and how it has changed my life. I, I got involved because of Ron Paul's presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. I figured out who this old guy was that was making a lot of sense. And uh, I Googled his name and watched a bunch of videos and I would say the rest is history, but it ain't history. This is now my life. And, and I talk mm -hmm. to Ron every few months and <clears throat> I, I talk often about how the legacy of it, like he didn't win a presidential campaign. He didn't change laws. He didn't veto anything, but the ideas that he shared have profoundly impacted my life. Not to say anything of like, you know, thousands, yeah, a lot tens of people. thousands and tons of other people. And then because of that, look at all the good that I'm now doing and reaching all these other people that he never would have reached. Yeah. And, and what is the ripple effect of that? And when we do, do, you know, everyone doing that, like it, it compounds on itself. So I think the books are critical. One of the interesting things I think about doing the kids books is that, <clears throat> excuse me, is that what we've seen is uh, the parents are learning a lot as well. So mm -hmm. these parents would never pick up, you know, each of our kids books is based on an original kind of classic free market text. And so economics in one lesson or the road to serfdom or Atlas shrugged. And, and so we kind of take the ideas from those original books, wrap them in a fun little story. And, and that becomes our book, right? So a lot of the, the adults buying our kids books, the Tuttle twins books for their kids, those adults have never read those original books, probably never mm -hmm. will never have, but they're willing to sit down and read with their kids and have this teaching moment and talk about these ideas and thereby learn about those exact concepts in this kind of friendly, kid-friendly uh, opportunity to read with their kids. We get literally daily emails, social media posts from parents being like, oh my gosh, like I learned way more in these kids' books than I remember learning ever when I was my kid's age or even in high school. And, and so the, the books do become an effective medium, especially at the simplified level because, you know, whether it's with our busy attention span or whatever, right? It's hard for people to sit down and really dig into this like economic book. Yeah, or, well, especially or, if they're not already driven. It's, it, that's what's nice, I think, about the simplified sort of medium is you're gonna reach people who aren't already motivated to sit down with human action. And you know, right. you, you've gotta be at a certain level of motivation to, to read some of these books. And this is, this is a fantastic way, I think, of reaching a totally. wider audience. Um, do you notice in terms of like feedback that you get from about your books, do you notice a difference in thinking between the generations? Do you feel like, are you hopeful for the younger generation? Are they, are they smarter than us? Are they, you know, are they imbuing these, these values and these ideas more than we did? That's a great question. Um, I, I'm mixed and it kind of depends on how you look at the data. So there's a lot of polls out there in recent years showing the, the degree of young people who support socialism and even yeah. communism. And these are alarming polls. Uh, you know, large chunks of the rising generations say they support socialism and communism. They are, are allured by this idea of, you know, whether it's free healthcare or not having to pay for college or equality or whatever these kind of superficial 
approaches they have to socialism. But then when you actually see people, there's videos out there where people will, you know, ask uh, people on college campus, for example, or high school seniors, and they'll say, oh, what do you think about socialism? Oh, it's really important because we need equality and we need to help poor people, et cetera, et cetera. And then they start to drill down a little bit further and be like, okay, well, how does that work? And what is socialism? You say you support it. And there's no understanding. There's no like, like depth at all. And so while we can look at the polls and be terrified on the one hand that socialism as a buzzword is popular right now, I think we can also take heart a little bit that no one really knows what that means. And I think the more people yeah. get educated, it divides that support. And you end up having a lot of people being like, oh, well, maybe I'm more in support of like a social safety net, limited, et cetera, et cetera. You know, or maybe I, I just don't like crony capitalism. I don't like, you know, these fat cats taking advantage of taxpayers and, and bailouts and things. And so you start to like segment off all these people who aren't actually socialists. They just think there's a problem with the status quo, which capitalists and free market people would totally agree with. Yeah. We don't have yeah. a free market, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm heartened in that way where I think with education, with efforts like the Tuttle Twins and others, right? We can start to chip away at that kind of superficial support of, of socialism and, and really kind of reclaim the rising generation and help teach them these, these solid ideas. Yeah. The other thing that I'm hopeful about is, um, you know, the, the flip side of the new normal, the flip side of all the, the crazy stuff that they're implementing in a lot of schools is that homeschooling is going through the roof right now. I mean, there's yeah. so many more, either whether it's temporary or permanent, um, are you hopeful about that? Do you, do you feel like that's something that's going to stick, that there are going to be a lot more permanent homeschoolers because of this? Uh, in, in a word, yes. Uh, we have about a quarter million families in our Tuttle Twins community. And a couple months ago, uh, we did some polling and, and uh, analysis trying to kind of get their feedback. And what was very interesting is a lot of the people who weren't, a lot of the families who were not previously homeschooling, but now as a result, post COVID-19 said we're homeschooling, we wanted to try and dig in and say, well, well, why? Like what prompted you to do this? What were the factors? And for a lot of them, it was, you know, mask mandates and all this kind of stuff. But they basically ticked all the boxes. While a lot of these people decided to now pull the trigger as a result of COVID-19 related issues, you know, I don't want my kid doing online learning and sitting in front of a computer all day. I don't want him wearing a mask all day, et cetera. They did have those concerns. However, these parents also checked all the boxes for, <clears throat> I don't like the curriculum. I don't like my kids spending seven hours to do two hours worth of schoolwork. I don't like my kid being bullied and coming home with anxiety and depression. You know, I don't like socialism being taught in the schools. They, they have these broader concerns that it feels like COVID-19 really just kind of pushed them over the edge to say, mm -hmm. all right, it's time to make a decision. And this has now forced us to make a decision because back in March and April, everyone was homeschool and you had no choice. Yeah. Now that we're kind of coming back and there's some choice, some remote, some in-person schools, a lot of people are still kind of having to make those concrete decisions about what's right for my family. And, uh, and so I am excited for all the negativity coming with COVID-19 and all the problems. I think one massive silver lining is exactly this. It is accelerating the adoption of, or I guess it's not adoption, but the, the uh, you know, decision to homeschool and get a lot of these families to take action on those, those concerns they've had for a long time about schools and curriculum and so forth, but finally reconsider the status quo. It feels like it you kind of- They needed like, a push. They needed something to, yeah. to just have them. Uh, yeah, I feel like once, 
once they've tried it and, and sort of been forced into it and realize, you know, yeah, I can actually do this. Mm-hmm. Why would you go back? Why would you, you know, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, you had, you had posted about a sort of controversy you had online where you spoke about, um, was it Milton Mayer, the, mm-hmm. the German American or the, uh, he'd grown up in Germany and, and yep. people asked him, well, how did that happen? How did, you know, how did these atrocities happen? How did it get to this point? And nobody said anything. Could you say a few words about what, what happened? Why did people get so upset when you, um, when you posted about that? Well, I think uh, there's, there's uh, a challenge anytime you post anything about Nazis where yeah. the other side would be like, oh, you're an extremist. You're comparing us to Hitler just because you disagree with us, right? So there's, there's that type of issue. Um, but it, it's also broader than that. Like the, the reason why I posted the Milton Mayer quote is it's so relatable to what we're experiencing right now in the sense that what, what he talked about in his book, he interviewed, for those who aren't familiar, it, it's a book called uh, They Thought They Were Free. And he interviewed a bunch of Jewish people, excuse me, a bunch of uh, Germans to ask them, why did you go along with the Nazi regime? Why did you support this? Why didn't you speak out? And he asked people from all walks of life and got all these responses, which were kind of broadly summarized in the frog in a boiling water type of analogy. For so many of these people, it was like, uh, and this is the, the one quote that I, I shared on, on my post was from a gentleman who said, well, we didn't object to that initial issue because it was so minor and it didn't really have anything to do with us. And we saw it happen, but we didn't object. So then we didn't object to the next one and the next one. And so progressively, as everything got worse, <clears throat> because we hadn't objected at any point in time, we were like kind of um, pushed to a point of like, just, okay, well, I've never objected. So why would I do that now? And then he said something like, had they, you know, started off after the night of breaking glass, started gassing Jews, you know, immediately had they jumped from like one thing to the extreme, clearly everyone would have pushed back. It's all the incremental stuff. Now, the, the, the problem and some of the controversy here comes in with the fact that when folks like you and I raised the warning flag and, and imagine we're in Germany and it's that incremental point and in each incremental thing, we're saying, guys, this is a problem. We're not going in a good direction. Many of us do that right now in America, to which we get the response that says, no, no, you're crazy. This is just this little thing. They're only asking us to do this. They're only requiring this. They're only, you know, doing X. And then when we try and set the context of the bigger picture and show the progression, how far we've kind of declined or moved, uh, you, you end up being called all, side, all sorts of crazy words where you know, folks like us are talking about the slippery slope, right? We're on the slippery slope and we went from here to here to here. Well, we might next be going here to here and everyone's like, oh, you're crazy. We're not going there. And then you get there and then they're like, no, no, but we're not going there. And then you get, you know, like, it's like at what point do people wake up and see not the trees, but the forest and begin to understand the broader context. It's like the war, right? It's like, oh yeah, my neighbor punched me in the head. We're not in a war. We're not in a battle. It's just this little isolated altercation, you know, that we have. But if you don't understand that there's these broader forces at play and that there is that war happening, you don't put in context all those little incremental things. And I think that's just part of the human condition that a lot of us just, you know, look so myopically at what's in front of us. We can't see the big picture and and take a step back. 
And I think that's to our detriment because people in positions of power can always excuse all of their usurpations by saying, oh, it's just this little thing. Like every tax increase is always justified as, oh, it's just a, you know, 0.3% tax increase. That's the cost of a cup of coffee. No big deal. Well, of course, every tax increase is justified that way to the point where you have like, you know, the, the amount of your mortgage payment every single month when you add all the tax uh, payments up. So I think that's where we have to push back is in the, the tiny little things that add up eventually to the big things. Yeah, it seems that I think that's what's been most disheartening to me is that it seems like there are so many people, and it's not like I didn't know this before, but it's like in my face now, there are so many people who I feel would rationalize anything. I feel like there's nothing the state could do, you know, short of literally repeating the Holocaust. And, you know, even, even you know, then I, I wonder, you know, it's become, it's acceptable to sort of, um, to verbally attack people, you know, anti-maskers, people who, who are against the masks. It's become very acceptable to sort of demonize them. At what point do the people who, who are pro-mask say, wait, this is, this, we've gone too far. To me, it seems like there's a whole lot of people out there who don't have any line at all, who don't have, there's no point at which they'll say, we've gone too far. And right. that's, I, I feel like that's what we're, that's what I'm seeing. And I don't even know, I don't know what to do about that. That's kind of terrifying. One of the uh, favorite lines in a favorite scenes in a movie that I've ever seen is from the matrix, which I consider it like second to scripture, like the most accurate yeah. thing. And there's this uh, scene in there where Morpheus is training Neo and uh, they haven't yet entered the matrix. They're in kind of like a little training program. He's helping them understand how the matrix is this kind of virtual reality thing. And they're walking down the road past all these people. And Morpheus is, you know, Neo's kind of bumping shoulders with them. They're in the middle of like a busy city. And Morpheus explains, he says, these people are part of the system. This is a representation of their minds. These are all individual people. They all have their own interests. But these people, he says, are so hopelessly dependent upon the system that they will fight you as you try and liberate them from the very system that enslaves them. They're so hopelessly dependent, so inured is the word that he used, which I found fascinating because I'd never heard that word before. I-N-U-R-E-D, so inured, so dependent. And so <clears throat> I feel like that is very representative of those of us who are fighting for freedom today, even for the very people who are you know, shaming us or who hate freedom, love socialism, love mandates, whatever, like we're fighting for their freedom as much as anyone yeah. else's, even if yeah. they don't want that freedom. And, and yet these people have become so ingrained in the system that they will defend it uh, even when it is oppressing them. It's a very bizarre circumstance. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as a Christian, you know, you've, you've got this commandment to love every, to love everyone, to love, how do you do that? How do you, how do you love the people who are fighting you as you're trying to liberate them or trying to, or even just trying to protect yourself from them? Yeah, that, that, that is the million dollar question. When <laughs> Jesus says to love your enemies, uh, you know, that, that's very tough, takes a lot of practice. Um, but honestly, the matrix analogy has kind of helped me where I realized that these people, a lot of these people were, were born this way. They've been raised in, in this perspective of, you know, 
the government can do no wrong or the experts have our best interests in mind, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> I think there's also, for me, a recognition that I used to think that way, hmm. right? If someone else would, a decade ago, would have shamed me and called, you know, like you're a tyrant and, you know, yelled at me or whatever, that would not have given me the compassion of opportunity to be an idiot for a little while until I kind of <laughs> went through, you know, the, my different life experiences that prompted me to reconsider my ideas. Uh, you know, we're not going to persuade anyone if we're mean to them. We're not going to mm -hmm. convince people by being jerks. We're not going to, you know, yell people into believing our ideas. It, it very much is living by example, diplomacy, uh, speaking very calmly and rationally, uh, you know, not having lots of boisterous emotion and emojis and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And so I, I've had to progress quite a bit in my own life to kind of tape myself down. I used to be kind of the machine gun Facebook commenter that, oh, someone's wrong on the internet. I'm going to go tell them why I'm right. But I came to a recognition that I want to be effective and that how I used to do things was not only not effective, it was, it was counterproductive. I was burning relationships where otherwise I might have had kind of a, you know, building on, on shared values somewhere and then going from there. Um, so I don't know, everyone kind of has their own path to figure that out. But I do think that it is possible to, you know, even if, even if all these socialists, pro-mandate, pro-mask, you know, submit to the government type people are out there, um, understanding that they believe the way they do often because that's the way they were raised and they don't know any better and whatever gives me a little bit of compassion to say, well, let's just meet them where they're at and have a conversation and see what goes from there. And if we disagree, that's fine. But, you know, it's also a recognition that even people with whom we disagree, we're going to agree on other things. And in my line of work where we worked on like 30 different policies, you know, I might be fighting with someone on this issue, but they're my closest ally on another issue. Mm -hmm. And we, we segment, I think, too easily. Oh, you're pro-mask in this example. So you're awful, not realizing that that person could be a, a great champion of this other cause that we believe in. Yeah. And so we're denying ourselves those coalition opportunities in the future by burning a bridge here that we can't walk across at a later time. Yeah, yeah. I also wonder how many people are just kind of going along with the with the dominant tide you know everyone else seems to think this way so i'm going to because mm -hmm. it's safe and so how many of the people who seem to be you know supporting the mandates and supporting the lockdowns are really just going along because it's easier sure. um, and and you never know unless you engage someone in conversation you don't know why why they're going along with it or why they're why they're supporting it um, Thank you so much for coming on. Any final words of advice for parents or for really anybody <clears throat> in dealing with this, in, in trying to communicate these ideas or in just trying to, you know, keep your own sanity? Um, any, anything else you'd like to add? So um, I've always found it interesting, the analogy of uh, how trees, when they are in shock, when they don't have water when there's kind of a, you know, fire or whatever, uh, you know how tree rings, there's a ring for every year, they're kind of growing out. But if you look where basically the rings are very tight, you know, they're not growing that year. They're, they're focusing on basically preserving themselves for a later time of future growth. And so um, I think 
in a lot of ways, that provides us an example where so often I think we want to impact other people. We want to educate other people. We want to convince other people. I think it's appropriate from time to time, especially during these times, to focus inward, to make sure we're maintaining our families, to, to have that shield, as I mentioned earlier, to understand that there are arrows being slung our way and people who are trying to you know, uh, do damage to our families and uh, our, our way of life, if you will. Um, and so I think it's totally appropriate to just try and unplug for a bit, set aside the world, just focus on making sure that we have a solid foundation as a family, that we're talking to our kids about these ideas. They're gonna be hearing it from all kinds of places. They're gonna be mm -hmm. getting all kinds of perspectives. If we as parents don't give them kind of that foundation against which they can kind of check uh, and criticize some of those different perspectives and ideas they're gonna be getting, uh, we're just giving blank slates to the system to indoctrinate them and plug them into the matrix. And I don't think any caring parent you know, wants to, to do that. So I think it is important to, uh, for parents to be thinking, are we having those conversations with our kids? Are we helping them understand the way the world works? What a lot of these ideas are, different perspectives. You know, the Tuttle Twins books are one resource to uh, basically enable those conversations to happen. We introduce mm -hmm. a lot of words and concepts and discussion questions at the end of the books because we just want to be a supplement to these families to say, you're going to have a lot of other conversations that spin out of reading this book. We're just trying to prompt those conversations so that you as a parent can kind of introduce whatever other perspectives or circumstances in your own life that relate. And then you can kind of build on that as you continue talking with your kids. I just think it's important for parents to be aware that there is a war happening, aware that they have an obligation to provide their children with these ideas and communicate with them the values that they have, rather than thinking that the children are going to like absorb them through osmosis or something. Right. Like, like <laughs> right. if we don't talk to our kids about this, yeah. it's like sex ed. Do you want your kid learning sex ed from the internet or do you want to sit them down in a caring environment <clears throat> and kind of walk them through the birds and the bees? So that as they learn the crazy stuff later on, right. they understand right. kind of the basics the right way. Why wouldn't we do that with these foundational societal values uh, when there's a lot of crazy ideas out there? So that, that's our whole motivation with the Tuttle Twins. And just uh, would encourage and welcome anyone to join us over at TuttleTwins.com. Okay. And I'll be, I'll be linking to that in the show notes. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Um, and th thank you for everything you're doing. I think this is really, really helpful and, and powerful. Thank you for having me. Thanks.